This is the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Javier Millet's ambitious reform agenda has run into obstacles in Congress, prompting the president to lash out at his opponents. What's the outlook now for Argentina's political and economic future? We are in a moment in which the friendly opposition, as we knew it in the last couple of, of months, is changing some of its configuration, and we will yet to see in the next few days what will happen with them. And this is very important, but this completes the political landscape in which President Millet will have to operate. President Javier Millet came into office in Argentina promising radical changes, a return to the glory of a hundred years ago, when Argentina was one of the world's richest nations before it fell into decades of stagnation and crisis. Once in office, President Millet moved quickly, aggressively. Through decrees and an omnibus bill sent to Congress, he pushed changes to more than 300 laws, the privatization of state-bound enterprises, new restrictions on protests, and a broad deregulation of the environment, health care, and labor laws. But we all knew it wouldn't be easy. And sure enough, the omnibus bill failed to pass Congress. It was sent back to committee. And now Millet is, well, he's angry, lashing out at members of Congress and naming the politicians he sees as having betrayed him and his movement in hopes of pressuring them to fall in line. On today's podcast, we'll try to take stock of where Argentina stands now and ask questions including, is Millet's reform agenda really in serious trouble? Could his confrontational strategy backfire? What's the status of his grassroots political support after a little more than two months now in office? And what's the latest on the Argentine economy, on the foreign exchange controls that investors want to see lifted? and the 200%-plus annual inflation that makes life so difficult for everyday people. Our guest, Juan Cruz Diaz, is a regular guest on the AQ Podcast, someone who has great access to power brokers in politics and the business world. He is the managing director of the Cefedas Political Risk Consultancy in Buenos Aires. Juan Cruz, welcome back to the AQ Podcast. It's always a pleasure to be here, Brian. Thank you for inviting me. So... President Millet's economic reform bill was sent back to committee after it did not get full approval in the Congress. We always knew that this was an ambitious, even transformative economic agenda that would face resistance. So how are we meant to understand what's happening right now? Does all this mean that Millet's agenda is in real trouble, or is this just the inevitable back and forth of the democratic process? No, I think I think it's part of the back and forth with the particularities that Millet presidency has. We know that President Millet is a risky player. This result of the bill could be expected. It's not completely a surprise. He issued a, a very comprehensive decree at the beginning. Then he complemented that with this omnibus bill, which included a lot of elements And while he has some people negotiating in Congress with governors and with other sectors, some changes to the law, his narrative has been always that he was going to move forward with this without many compromises. 
What was it specifically in the so-called omnibus law that generated resistance and that got the law into trouble? I mean, a lot of things. And not only not only in the omnibus bill, but also in the decree. I think President Millet decided to play on the offensive right from the start. In the decree, there were many, many things that are still there because the decree is, is still valid despite some problems that he had at the judiciary. But in the law, you have plenty of things from different things. But I think one of the most important elements were the presidential powers. President Millet really wanted some of the exceptional presidential powers due to the economic emergency so he can push forward, have moved forward with some of his reforms without the need of going through Congress. And there were a lot of resistance in some sectors of the friendly opposition to address that. Other issues that were important, especially with governors, were issues regarding to financing. As you know, provinces are heavily dependent on money transfers from the government. So there were some issues there, especially uh, some sharing of certain tax collections and so on. So they weren't able to agree on those specifics and everything basically blew, blew up. What I guess I'm trying to understand is how much of what is essential in Millet's reform agenda is now in trouble. You know, when you look at the effort to reduce the size of the Argentine state, to also reduce the reach of the Argentine state when it comes to deregulating key portions of the economy, how much of that is legitimately in trouble right now? I don't think that it's completely in trouble. I think the most important part of the approval or not of the omnibus bill was mostly a political signal. I think President Millet tried to play on the offensive. He tries to show that he has the initiative and he was uh, successful in doing that. And certainly he's trying to put some issues on the public agenda. And to be honest, on that sense, I think it was successful. I don't think the law by itself was an economic policy program. I don't think the law by itself was necessarily a re- a, an economic regime change that he is advocating to. I think that part will come from an economic policy program that will come from out from the Ministry of, of Economy rather than the law itself. Uh, I think it's more political than than, than other things. It sounds to me like the political class is trying to tell Millet, hey man, not this fast, not quite like this. We're not saying no to the pillars of your platform, but you have to go through us and we're going to do a little bit of a show of force here. Is that what this is? It could be, but you can, you can look at that from a different angle. President Millet is saying, I got 56% of the votes this is my mandate and you need to accept this and we need to move forward with this. That's what President Millet is saying. And in a way, he's right. However, when you talk to the governors, they say, hey, I also was elected with a huge percentage, in some cases, even more than you in my province. And I also have uh, this mandate. And when you talk to senators and congressmen, they will say, hey, I also was elected by huge numbers and this is my job. And, and I think they're all right. And this is democracy at play. And Millet's counter reaction, as you point out, 
has also been very aggressive. When the bill was not approved, the office of the president tweeted out a list of legislators that voted against it, saying that they were, quote unquote, against the people in this fight with governors. Millet told them at one point, los voy a dejar sin un peso. I'm going to leave you without a single peso. Is this, I mean, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty aggressive tactic here. I mean, is, is there a chance this backfires or is this all part of the game? I mean, I'm going back to the beginning. This is Millet. Millet is a bold, disruptive and risky player. And this was Millet in the campaign. So this is not a surprise. And these reactions are not a surprise. So they were quite aggressive. And of course, people in Congress and governors were not very pleased about this. Uh, but we need to see because President Millet is arriving, uh, as we speak, he's arriving back to Argentina after a long trip that he made to Israel and to Rome that was quite important. We need to see what happens when he returns, not only with him, but also with, with the opposition. Talk to me, Juan Cruz, about what's happening in the opposition right now. It's my read that they have been fairly subdued, and I'm talking here specifically about the group that was previously in charge, Christina Kirchner and her allies. What's their strategy right now? What are they up to? I mean, I think one of the big elements is that the Union por la Patria, the Big Parents Coalition, still has some internal housekeeping to do after losing the presidential election last year. The government itself was complicated. The internal division and the internal tensions between the different actors of the government, of the past government coalition are still not solved. And they all agree in that they need to be fierce opponents to Javier Millet's program in general. But the consensus, the internal consensus on how to move forward as a coalition is not there yet. So uh, it, it doesn't seem that they will break the coalition, but the identity of the coalition and the leadership of the coalition is still in the flux. And that, in, in a sense, that the perception that we're having a leaderless Peronist coalition. Juan Cruz, there is kind of a third group in this political equation besides Millet's base and the Kirchnerist Peronist opposition which is another group that you described as the, the friendly opposition. Who are they and, and where are they at this stage? The friendly opposition is basically Juntos por el Cambio, or the artist formerly known as Juntos por el Cambio, which is a, it's a big coalition that includes the pro-party, the presi former President Macri's party, the traditional Unión Cívica Radical, and Elisa Carrió's Coalición Cívica. The faction within pro the pro-party closer to President Macri and, and Minister of Security Patricia Woolrich are willing to support President Millet without questioning. They want even to join the government. There are a lot of uh, rumors of a meeting that will happen between Millet and Macri to even have more presence of Macri's people in the national government right now. And that will increase potentially governability and Congress-based elements to support President Millet. However, there are other sectors from the Pro Party, most visible former Major Horacio Rodríguez Larreta and other people that are not going to support this. So there's a lot of talks that the, even the Pro Party could split 
changing a little bit the political landscape, and also the coalition civica and several sectors from the Union Civica Radical, which include not only a lot of Congress people, but also governors, have been quite affected by this process in this month in which Millet has been very aggressive to them. So we are in a moment in which the uh, friendly opposition, as we knew it in the last couple of, of months, is changing some of its configuration, and we will yet to see in the next few days what will happen with them. And this is very important with this completes the political landscape in which President Millet will have to operate. Let's talk about the Argentine street. What is your sense of the overall state of Millet's popular support right now? He was elected with 56% of the vote, as you know, but I've seen some polling that has his approval already under 50%. What's your read on this as we are nearing the two-month mark? That's the other element. It's very important. You need to understand that he got 56% of the vote on the second round. So many of those voters were not genuine uh, you know, Millet followers. They just thought that he was the best option that, between the two options that they had. So I would say that it's uh, normal to see some decrease on, 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 on the popular support, especially in the, in the economic crisis that we're, we're feeling. Seeing a path towards the reduction of inflation, or at least the trajectory, is key for Millet. Um, and I think that will be the key to understand how long the society will be patient with Javier Millet. So far, the results are not there yet, but he believes that he can pull that off. And if, if he pulls that off and he gets some quick results in terms of inflation, maybe he can, he can sustain the patience of the society a, a little bit longer. In a column that I published about Argentina in January, I spoke with Jorge Liotti, the columnist for La Nación, and asked him specifically this question of how long do you think Millet has to show some kind of progress? Liotti said, hmm, unclear, but maybe March or April. Do you agree with that timeline? I think March of April, there's an expectation that you will need some type of, of results, economic results there. And certainly that will be a, a, a test not only for President Millet, but also for Minister Caputo and his economic uh, you know, plan will be uh, uh, there. It could be April, it could be May, I don't know. If the trajectory of inflation is not slowing down, the pressure is going to be high. And then you need to look at the political arena there, how the opposition is going to play there, how the friendly opposition is going to play uh, there, because that will also affect the, mo the social mobilization in general. We'll be back in just a moment with more on the state of the Argentine economy and also what to expect from President Millet's foreign policy. The America Society Art Gallery is currently showing the second part of El Dorado, Myths of Gold, a group exhibition exploring the legend of El Dorado as a foundational myth of the Americas. Art at America Society is the longest standing space in the U.S. dedicated to exhibiting and promoting art from Latin America and the Caribbean. El Dorado, Myths of Gold will be on view in New York until May 18, 2024. If I can ask you to take off your political analyst hat for just a moment and just put on the, the hat of a, an Argentine citizen living in Buenos Aires, what's it like in this economy right now? I mean, I, it's, things have been tough for years now, but it's also true that we saw an acceleration inflation at the end of the year. 
partly because of the pre-election spending spree by the Alberto Fernandez government, partly because of the changes in exchange rates and other policy measures undertaken by Javier Millet once he was elected. What is the level of pain right now in terms of the economy? I think food prices have been going up, and that's really tough, especially for the low-income level of the society. Transportation prices, uh, the prospects of transportation prices are, are, are also very complicated, affecting, again, the lower income levels of, of, of the society. And if you see the purchasing power of the salaries in pesos have been heavily, heavily affected. If you are in the sector of the society that you can get dollars or you can you know, save in dollars or you can protect your savings or your income from the pesos, maybe you're not suffering that much. But the, the biggest part of the population that are registered and even worse, they aren't, the not registered workers are, are you know, suffering a lot because of this inflation. And, and, and you see this in the markets, in the supermarkets, in the stores, in the streets, uh, when you talk to people. So the situation is, is, is extremely worrisome from those sectors. And this connects with what we discussed before. You know, these people are not blame, blaming Millet for this situation, but it's, we don't know how, how this uh, approach to the government will last. I was a bit, I guess, surprised when, as part of his initial raft of economic measures, Millet announced an increase in some of the social safety net programs. Perhaps having learned the lessons of failed austerity programs in the past that did not really make a sufficient attempt to protect the most vulnerable, have, have those efforts and his, you know, unwillingness to cut the planes sociales, has that helped public sentiment a bit? I think so. I, I don't think there is a space in the Argentine society to make drastic cuts in social you know, programs. And I think President Millet understands this. Of course, there has been a lot of tensions with some of the social movements, what President Millet considers the, the, the not very healthy intermediaries between the state and the people. So there have been a lot of tensions with social movements and, and other political organizations there. He has increased some of the support with the Catholic Church and the, and the evangelical churches that have some outreach there, but it's not enough. I mean, to be honest, the social movement's infrastructure has been very critical in order to, to contain some of, of the most affected sector of the society. So uh, still, uh, I think this, the government and the states need some of the social movements to, to, to be able to effectively uh, channel those resources. So I think that's the tension we've seen between the, the government, especially the Ministerio de Capital Humano, which runs right now the social programs and some of the social movements. That's the tension we're seeing. But I think uh, President Millet understands this. Uh, he, he's trying uh, an, a more ideological approach. So he, he tries to change those intermediaries or eliminate those intermediaries. But again, it would be really hard to pull that off. But I, I think there's no space to eliminate the, the, the social safety net. I want to ask you a delicate question, uh, but one that I've heard a lot over the last 12 months or so, and that's about the state of Argentine democracy. 
there have been concerns going back to the campaign about whether um, Javier Millet would respect Argentina's democracy and its institutions once he was in office. What's your view on the strength of Argentina's democracy and institutions at this point today? I think uh, institutions are there and are working. I, I think we, and we saw that, uh, we're seeing this, right? We're seeing that President Millet issued a big degree, a very ambitious degree, and some elements of that degree have been stopped by the judiciary. And, and President Millet sent a huge law through Congress and they negotiated some agreements and some of the others that were not negotiated and, and, and the law did not pass. So in a way, each branch of the government is working and, and they're, uh, they're fulfilling the, their role. I want to talk briefly about foreign policy. This is another area where people expected radical change under Millet. Specifically, people wondered if he would be able to build constructive relationships with not only China, Argentina's biggest trading partner, but also governments around the region that he deemed as being led by communists. Um, language that he at one point used to describe President Lula next door in Brazil, clearly for the record, not a communist. He also very recently uh, referred to President Petro of Colombia as a communist murderer. Leaving the rhetoric aside, though, to the extent that that's possible, I mean, have we seen major changes in Argentina's foreign policy since Millet was elected? I think the most important one has been uh, the decision of President Millet to not joining the BRICS. I think I would say that's the most salient decision, but that did not mean that he was breaking with China. Despite the narrative against China that he uh, had had, we've seen, for example, Minister Caputo meeting with the ambassador and, 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 and establishing discussion on further trade. Remember that China has been Argentina's lender of last resort in, in the past several years, not only during the Kirchner's year. So, uh, and, and Argentina is one of those countries that need to balance uh, between the, the U.S. and China, you know, for Argentina, U the U.S. is a critical foreign investor and is key for financing and, and some al and international alignments, but we need China for our exports. So we need to balance that. I, I think that this, despite the rhetoric, the government has been much more pragmatic in terms of, of China. I don't believe that we will see a, a friendly relationship between Millet and Lula. That would be very difficult. Having said that, I don't anticipate a relationship that is not pragmatic. I think the pragmatic approach in the bilateral relationship with, with, with Brazil as well will prevail. And I think the, the most interesting thing is how President Millet was with the Pope. I'm coming back with the Pope. Despite this aggressive narrative that he had during the campaign, he was extremely friendly and the Pope was very friendly with him. So I think there's a lot of space to work with President Millet in, in getting more pragmatic and, 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 and more moderate in a way. So I, I see that that could be the case. I think the pragmatic approach will prevail with two salient situations as well. The Davos speech was quite bold and interesting uh, uh, a few weeks ago in a way uh, to show what his agenda be in terms of align alignment with 
this international conservative movement or international more right-wing movement in which he became a figure. And the other element is his more firm uh, approach in support of Israel. You know, he announced that even he was going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, which I think that would have some obstacles legally in Argentina, but that bold message also, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a change uh, in, in Argentina's foreign policy. How do you think he's trying to handle the relationship with the United States? And I ask this because he, Millet, has a, an obvious affinity for Donald Trump, but also he needs the Biden administration's support at the IMF and elsewhere. I think in the bilateral relationship, there are the, just the two elements that you mentioned. I think, of course, he has a lot of uh, consideration and, and is very close to several people around former President Trump. It's not a secret that President Trump has been an inspiration in many aspects for the Millet strategy, and, and the relationship is very, is, is, is very good and it's very fluid there. Having said that, I think, again, uh, the, the pragmatic approach has been prevailing in terms of the bilateral relationship, both in the Argentine side, but also in the U.S. side. Final question for you. As we look ahead, you speak to a lot of investors, a lot of people with money in Argentina, both Argentine investors, foreign investors. If you look ahead as they try to do with a horizon of one year, three year, five years, to the extent that that's possible, it's always hard in Argentina. But how are they feeling right now after two months of melee? I think that there's, there's still a situation of wait and see. I think that the most important uh, predictor or element to watch that will turn on investor confidence is the FX restrictions. When investors see a light in terms of when the FX restrictions are going to start to be lifting, so they can you know, pay for imports, pay for debt, or even uh, send dividends abroad, which that's extremely important for them, that will mark, I would say, a turn in terms of investors' confidence in, in, in Argentina. Juan Cruz, on that note, thanks so much for joining us on the AQ Podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.